This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, April 10th, 2009. I'm Caleb Brown. Adapting a surge strategy from Iraq to Afghanistan requires adapting to a dramatically different physical terrain, a much weaker central government, a largely imaginary border between Afghanistan and Pakistan, and a NATO alliance that is hanging by a thread. Other than that, says Cato Institute legal policy analyst and former Special Forces officer David Ritgers, it's a fair comparison. Well, they're very dissimilar in terms of the factors that made the surge a success in Iraq. Uh, Economically, the Sunni areas are resource poor. There's oil north in the Kurdish areas, and there's oil south in the Shiite areas, but there's no oil in the Sunni areas. So you can rent loyalty very cheaply in the Sunni areas. Uh, in Afghanistan, the reverse is true. The areas uh, just around Kandahar and the Helmand and Oruzgan provinces, uh, which is where a lot of the, the Taliban heartland is, are also the areas where opium poppy grows uh, and very successfully. So that's actually a resource-rich area. So renting loyalty and porting the surge strategy with sons of Afghanistan parallel to sons of Iraq is very. That's a very that's stretching the the, uh, the economics of that to the breaking point. Uh, second, let's take a look at how uh, the terrain is uh, in Iraq versus Afghanistan and where the population is in that terrain. In Iraq, there's two major rivers, the Tigris and the Euphrates, and the population is concentrated uh, around those two rivers. So you can mass your forces and achieve a localized uh, ratio of, of counterinsurgents to population that is successful. And in Baghdad, we had dozens of combat outposts that were within uh, small arms range of each other and could mutually reinforce uh, one another. So we basically provided community-oriented policing in Baghdad. Uh, and, and as Admiral Olson said, uh, Iraq is like the state of New York. If you secure New York City, then you've secured New York. But... Afghanistan is is not like New York State. Uh, the population is spread out all over the place. Uh, very a very small minority of it is in the major population centers. So to achieve that localized uh, counterinsurgent to population ratio all over the country would not be done with mutually supporting small uh, outposts working in partnership with Iraqi police and army troops. So you would have to have a massive commitment of troops on the order of. I think we would need 600,000 counterinsurgents total, counting host nation ones, but we don't have that, and we, I don't know how we'd get there uh, with a surge of our troops. That would be all of the army. Uh, so uh, the, the population uh, uh, density and, and concentration doesn't work. And in terms of terrain, the terrain in Afghanistan is absolutely unforgiving, and you can ambush a convoy uh, from... Uh, you know, you're at 7,500 feet above sea level, and you're running around with uh, a pair of flip-flops, uh, an AK-47, uh, and 100 bullets. And you can be effective with that in Afghanistan more than you can in Iraq, because to come chase after you is absolutely daunting when American soldiers are wearing 60 pounds of gear uh, high above sea level. It's, it, it is tough, tough terrain. Uh, and finally, if you look at the social structure of Iraq, uh, it's actually sort of a uh, a, a bonus to invade a country that uh, was just under a ruthless dictator. 
because the people are much more consolidated politically. Uh, there was an accepted party structure, and one local political leader could speak for thousands of people. Uh, and also the people are somewhat immunized to the, uh, to the population control measures that a counterinsurgency can require. Whereas in Afghanistan, uh, if you have a deal with one local leader, he speaks only for his tribe or his village or his valley. And the next valley is a whole different uh, set of rules and a whole different ball of wax in terms of relating to that population. Uh, so uh, these broad broker deals with former Ba'ath Party members or heads of large tribes will not translate to Afghanistan. It's only recently that policymakers have gone public with the idea that uh, a country like Afghanistan could be governed centrally from Kabul. What took so long? And, and, and why is there still this, this push for uh, a surge? Well, I think that the proponents of the surge uh, are, are trying to push this strategy, not, not realizing the scope uh, of the, the differences between the two countries. Uh, and uh, this is uh, also partly because Afghanistan is seen as the good war. Uh, in some people's eyes, and that this is a war that we cannot lose. But I think we have to come to the realization that Afghanistan, even when they had uh, a monarch, uh, it, it was not run as centrally and as as uh, as concentrated uh, in Kabul in terms of political power as advertised. Uh, and a lot of the things, the lines that we've been sold uh, from uh, some of the uh, the uh, ruling. Uh, class in Afghanistan who want our presence to continue there uh, simply aren't the case. Uh, the uh, the myth of a progressive uh, women's rights movement in Afghanistan uh, has been uh, exposed as pretty false with the passage of uh, recent legislation uh, that would bar a uh, husband from being charged for raping his wife uh, in Afghanistan and, uh, and lays out pretty specifically how much uh, attention she is supposed to uh, show to him. And, and so all of the uh, human rights and women's rights advocates that are saying that, that we need to go over and impose our values on them don't realize that, uh, that when w what we talk about and call women's rights in many s real senses are what they would consider property rights. Uh, and imposing our values will only generate uh, ill will against us and support for the insurgency. The first time Article 5 of the NATO Charter was ever used was on September 11th, 2001. NATO allies came to Afghanistan, uh, broadly supporting that effort. Where do we stand now? And uh, what of the uh, quality of the alliance within NATO? Well, when we write the history books uh, about the war in Afghanistan, uh, I hope this isn't true, but... but uh, but we may say that we, we lost the war on January 1st, 2006, and just didn't know it yet. Uh, that's the date that European forces, our allies, took over in Kandahar. There are two main military hubs uh, in Afghanistan, Kabul in the uh, Bagram and Kabul in the east, and then Kandahar in the south. The Europeans took over in the south uh, in 2006, uh, and... Uh, to echo the sentiments of uh, Ted Carpenter, uh, they, they simply are, are free riders in NATO. Uh, and it's been ineffective for several reasons. Uh, first, in terms of capabilities, they just don't bring to the battlefield what Americans bring to the battlefield. Uh, and second, uh, the, uh, they have much more enthusiasm for drug eradication 
than American military leaders did uh, and do. So, uh, so they came in with Great Britain leading those allies and Great Britain having just been appointed in, in mid to late 2004 as uh, the lead country, uh, the international drug czar, if you will, for drug eradication in Afghanistan. So they tried to actually go out and start eradicating uh, poppies. Uh, and uh, this was done knowing that it was going to cause problems. And so uh, they tried to parcel out uh, the pain to the locals. And what ended up happening is, is, that, uh, is that the people who locally were in power uh, ended up keeping their fields and certain tribes or groups within those regions paid the price, and those were the ones that uh, lost portions of their crops. So it, create, it, 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 uh, it fell along tribal uh, lines in those uh, areas, people who wanted to fight us, and it has been very counterproductive. Uh, and finally, uh, legally, they're, they're much more restricted than we are. Our rules of engagement are broad enough that we can uh, do what we need to do on the battlefield, whereas some of these European nations have caveats uh, where dropping a bomb would require contacting their home country uh, or it's been a report of uh, uh, in 2006 of uh, a British unit that was in the field and identified some Taliban fighters and contacted a helicopter to go shoot at them because they couldn't reach them with the weapons that they had on the ground. And the aircraft were on a different subset of rules of engagement that were entirely defensive and had to get command uh, approval to switch to rules of engagement, allowing them to shoot those Taliban uh, fighters. So this meant that for the Taliban, that group of Taliban, to get engaged by the helicopters, they would have to be dumb enough to shoot at an attack aircraft so that the attack aircraft could fire in self-defense. Now, if you're fighting a counterinsurgency, you have to have the ability, once you identify the insurgent and separate him from the population, to attack him. And if you're playing a defensive set of rules, then you cannot win in a counterinsurgency. What has gone correctly in Afghanistan? Well, we recognize that Afghanistan and the border regions in Pakistan are so closely linked uh, that we have one ambassador, and Richard Holbrook is the AFPAC or Afghanistan-Pakistan uh, ambassador. And that's a good move structurally, uh, where we're not going to be making promises to each of those two parties that uh, the other ambassadors know about and can't keep. Uh, and he's also been a critic of the drug eradication that we have uh, been doing in the South. Uh, and so uh, hopefully that there will be some give on that and a, and a move away from that, uh, uh, at least at the, at the low level, so that we're not impacting the lives of these farmers, taking away their crop and driving them into the hands of the insurgency. David Ritgers was a Special Forces officer in Afghanistan and is a legal policy analyst at the Cato Institute. You can read more of his work at Cato.org. <laughs>